The following message was given by Raymond Goodland on Sunday, May 26th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 26 through 30 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. And as you're turning there, let me go ahead and disappoint many of you right up front. I'm told that if you're going to do that, do it early. We will come across, in our reading today, we'll come across the concept of predestination. We are not going to spend the bulk of our time dealing with that subject. All right, so I know for many of you, you will be entirely disappointed about that. You thought or had hoped we would resolve that thousands of years old conflict this morning. We will not do that. Um, we will mention it at least to some degree because we'll come across it in our passage, but we'll spend the bulk of our time focusing on really Paul's main point in this passage, which is the way in which the Holy Spirit helps us right here and right now. Okay, so if you are disappointed by that, as you heard earlier in our announcements, you have the opportunity on Tuesday nights for the next five Tuesday nights to come and to take that class that we're offering at the 400 over there on the south side where you can go through sovereignty and salvation and delve more deeply into those things with us. And we hope many of you are able to take that opportunity. So having said all of that, let's go to our Bibles, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. I'll pray for us, then I'll read that text, and then we'll get straight into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us all here safely this morning. And now I ask that you would, you would help us by, by clearing the air and causing us to be able to truly listen with our whole selves Please turn the volume down on the concerns that fill our hearts and minds and that were certainly with us when we walked in this morning. We'll have plenty of time to pick those up again in just a bit, but help us right here and right now to give you our full attention that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to His church. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Likewise, Let's pause right there. Now, don't get nervous. Could take a while if we pause after each word. But Paul begins here saying likewise because he's already spoken of a number of ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us. We've learned as we've gone through this chapter that back in in verse 2, we have a new freedom from the ultimate penalty of sin, from the condemnation that we deserve. For the law of the Spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death in Christ Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit takes the objective work of Christ on the cross and in His resurrection, accomplished so many years ago, and He applies that work and the benefits and merits of that work to our lives as we approach Him and come in repentance and faith. So we have a new freedom through the Spirit from the ultimate penalty due to us for our sin. But we also have a new freedom from the ongoing power of sin in and over our lives. So by the time we get to verses 12 through 14 of Romans 8, We can see that as well. We have an obligation, since all these things are true, we have an obligation, Paul says, to live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or children of God. And two weeks ago, Robert Green was taking us through that and, and spoke so well about how it is the Spirit provides us with that leadership that we need in our battle against our own sin that we might put it to death by the Spirit. So we have a new freedom from the ultimate penalty of our sin, which is condemnation. We have a new freedom from the ongoing power of sin in and over our lives as we are sanctified increasingly. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit confirms for us our true identity now as children of God. Verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs. We share in the inheritance that belongs to Christ and only to Christ and His people. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, but there is a suffering clause in the will. If we're going to inherit along with Christ, we're told this is provided that we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. And then from verses 18 through 25, as we saw last week, the Holy Spirit helps us to endure the sufferings of this present time and to do so with great patience, always fixed on the hope that we are promised. For in this hope, the redemption of our bodies, we were saved. And the Holy Spirit helps us to keep that on the front burner of our minds and our hearts. So when we come to verse 26, it is appropriate that Paul says, likewise. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now this is a very particular kind of weakness. And I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul includes himself in it. He says the Spirit helps what? Us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. Now, what are, what are some of the things you want to be known for? Wisdom, patience, kindness, beauty, strength. Where would you say weakness falls on that list? Anybody? This weakness is something we all have something we all share. Even a super Christian like the Apostle Paul, who has been used perhaps more than any individual in the history of the church to take the gospel all over the place. This is a weakness that we all have and it's not going anywhere. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 26. The Spirit helps us, what's next? In our weakness. He doesn't say he helps us by removing the weakness, does he? It remains. Now what I want us to do with the re rest of our time is I want us to see just a few things. We're going to go through this passage and we're going to look at, at various parts of it and really focus on those parts, but I want us to see a few things. First of all, what don't we know? In this weakness, what, what is it that we don't know? Secondly, what do we know? Thirdly, how do we know what we do know? And then lastly, I just want us to take a moment to make some points of application. Here, here are a few things that I think God wants us to take out of this, apply to our lives, and to increasingly come to a, a place where those lives glorify and honor Him. So let's do that. Let's start back up in verse 26 with what we do not know. Verse 26 says here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for... We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Everyone look at me so that we can settle this issue very quickly. 
This is true. The Bible states this as a fact. This is what we call an indicative statement. It is indicating reality. It is telling us what is true. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. There are times and moments where we do not know the minutia or the specifics regarding God's immediate will and His plan for us in various situations when we're faced with difficult decisions. And we don't know in those moments how we ought to pray. That is exactly what he's saying. Now, there are times where we do know, at least in general terms, exactly what God's will is for us. I'll give you one example. Look, look really quick at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and you'll see a good example there of a place where God speaks very clearly concerning what his will is for us. And he says there, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, here it comes, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You couldn't get any clearer. What do you mean, pastor, that we don't know the will of God for our lives? Well, well yes, in broad general terms, we do. He wants us to rejoice always to give thanks in all circumstances, to pray without ceasing. That is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. But when it comes down to the, the specifics in certain situations, there remains a bit of uncertainty. The secret things, Deuteronomy 29, 29, belong to the Lord our God. But the things that have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever. But there are some things that remain secret things, known only to God. And when we encounter those things, we find that there's a, a difficulty in prayer. There's a weakness that shows up as an ignorance of those specifics, and we, we don't even know what to pray for. The Apostle Paul actually gives us some insight into his own life, and he, he gives us two, at least two examples in his own life where, where I'm sure he felt this. In Philippians chapter 1, and you, you don't necessarily have to turn there now, but mark this in your minds. Do you remember that the setting is he is in jail, he is in Rome, in prison? And he's writing to the Philippian church there, trying to encourage that church and to let them know things are bad, but they're not as bad as maybe you think. It, it, you know, it's going to be okay. And he's there not really knowing exactly what okay means. He doesn't really know how things are going to turn out for him. And so he's speaking there and he realizes there are some people out there preaching Christ from perhaps false motives. Not so much seeking to glorify God and to spread the name of Christ throughout the world, but more concerned about stirring up trouble for Paul. And he says, well, even if that's the case, I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. And I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. Through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. And he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in no way will I be ashamed but that with full courage, both now and as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He didn't know. And he actually says, I'm hard-pressed between two things. I don't know what I'm going to choose. On the one hand, I desire to depart this life and to be with Christ because that's far better. On the other hand, I realize that to remain here in the flesh is, is needful for your sake. And being confident of this, he says, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. But he didn't know what to choose. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? What is the immediate and the, the specific will of God for my life in this moment? I don't, I don't know. How should I pray in this moment? I, I don't know. 
My confidence is here, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. And then turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. I do want you to turn here and look at this one with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, the setting here is that the Apostle Paul has been receiving so many revelations from God, so much insight from God into deep mysteries that people had not understood before that he was actually in danger of becoming conceited because of how much insight he was given, because of the wisdom that God had entrusted to him. And so we read here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 9, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. Pause. Have, have you been there? Have you, have you pleaded multiple times, pleaded with the Lord to remove something from you, and it's still here? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul clearly did not know what to pray for as he ought. His prayer... For this thing to be removed was not in line with the immediate and the specific will of God for him and the plan of God for him in that specific situation. God had rather determined that that thing should remain in order to protect Paul from something much more dangerous, the spiritual disease of conceit. Now, we're not told specifically, but I imagine that what it says over in Romans chapter 8, verse 27 was happening that the Spirit was making intercession for Paul with groanings too deep for words, that the mind of the Spirit, known to God our Father who searches hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, that the mind of the Holy Spirit was communicating with Paul's Heavenly Father in a, on a channel and in a frequency that works between the members of the Godhead. God the Father hears the mind of the Spirit even though it, it's being expressed in these groanings that are too deep for words and may not even be audible. You know how sometimes dogs can hear something that humans can't? A little dog whistle. Moms can hear things dads can't. <laughs> like that child, you know, crying in the middle of the night. Now, I can hear my wife telling me about it. But the child crying, it just different frequency. The Holy Spirit, perhaps, is communicating with Paul's Heavenly Father here, our Heavenly Father, and what if he said something like this? Heavenly Father, you are eternally good and eternally wise. Do not remove your protection from Paul. And Paul's praying his heart out over here. What if the Holy Spirit is offering a competing prayer through his intercession for Paul at this moment. And he says, do not remove your protection from Paul. 
Continue to guard him against the spiritual disease of conceit. Please help him to know the sufficiency of your grace toward him in his suffering and help him to count it as an enormous privilege for his little life to be used as an occasion for you to display the perfection of your power in his weakness. Now what if, what if that's what the Holy Spirit was up to at that moment? That is a different prayer, is it not? But it was the right one. It was the one that was directly in line with God's immediate plan and the specifics of his will for Paul in that situation. And Paul did not know what to pray for as he ought, just like you and I at times. Now, what about us? What about you? What do you suppose the Holy Spirit is communicating to your Heavenly Father when you reach this point? As you pray your heart out for something to be taken away. What do you pray? What do you pray when you get that diagnosis back and you're told that your child still in utero has been diagnosed with Down syndrome or spina bifida or something else regarded generally to be a birth defect? How do you pray? Do you pray that God would heal that child from that condition? Or do you pray that God would allow your love for that child over many decades through whatever challenges would come your way in that relationship to so shape you that you're more like Jesus because of it? How, how do you pray? How do you pray when you get injured, O oh athlete? Do you pray that the injury is healed very quickly so you can just get out back there on the field? Or do you pray that it would linger long enough for you to have to go see a specialist and meet some other patients who have to see that specialist and you discover that that specialist and all those patients desperately need to hear the gospel? You know, Paul said that to the Galatians in chapter 4. It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. How do you pray? We don't know. That's what verse 26 tells us. We don't know what to pray for as we ought in these situations. But the Spirit of God helps us in that weakness and makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But let's move on. What do we know? Verse 28 and we know, while all this is going on, we don't know exactly what the Spirit is saying. God our Father does. But we do know this. God has revealed that we have His help in that moment. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to His purpose. That is what we do know, even in our weakness. Now, Paul does not simply say here that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He says that, but he says much more than that. Those first three words in that verse expand the value of this for our lives. And we know. You see, 
everyone about whom this is true, everyone who loves God in the way that is, is meant here, and everyone who is called according to his purpose will eternally benefit from the fact that this is true. But there is an added benefit to those of us who can say this right now. And we know that this is true right now. That is what enables us to have the peace and the perspective that God intends for us to have at these crucial moments. And we know. You know, you remember that old song? Jesus loves me. That's the big deal. This, I know. Jesus loves me is a gift. Yes, he does. But do you know that? Do you know that? Because that is what is really going to ultimately be effective for your peace when you look at life and go through the sufferings of this present time. Does the true and objective love that Jesus has for you, does that register to you? Do you know this? This is what we can know. All things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, let's move on again. How do we know that that is true? How do we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? And what is this ultimate good that we're talking about anyway? The best way for us to answer that question is to simply read the next two verses. Let's look again at Romans chapter 28 and read down through verse 30 to the end of our passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For, because, in other words, he's about to tell us how we can know that. For those whom God foreknew, he also, everybody, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. The reason that you and I can know that as we pass through the sufferings of this present time, that even our worst experiences, even our worst moments, when they are taken by God together with other things, and when he is finished shaping all of that, we can know that all things will ultimately take us to the good that he has planned for us precisely because of his foreknowledge and the fact that he has predestined us to get there. Now, I don't know what you have in mind when you hear predestination, but I know what God has in mind. He puts all of his power behind this promise to bring his people to the good end that he has pre-planned for them. And nothing and no one can stop him from doing it. That, that's what I get out of this. That's what I hear when I read about predestination. 
The only reason I can believe that all things, all things, even bad things, once God is done with them, they don't become good in themselves, they remain bad. But by the time God is finished weaving together all of the experiences of our lives, even the worst of those things, I know that all things will work together to take me to this ultimate good that he has planned for me, that I might be like Christ, conformed to his image, and with Christ forever, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I know that because God has predestined me for it. And no one can stop him from accomplishing what he has planned. That's how I know it. So predestination is the very ground upon which we stand when we say we believe, Romans 8, 28. Did you know that? Now, some of you still have the beer face. I, I cannot remove from your heart the entire history of thought and conversation that you have when you hear the word predestination. For all I know, that is what, what led you to leave your last church and come here. And now you're saying, oh man. But listen, you know, you've been somewhere and someone prepared a meal for you and they just, they just put entirely too much spice on it. It's just the way they prepared it. It just wasn't doing it for you. You know, you know what I mean. And you just, you left, you, you tried that, and you didn't want anything to ever have to do with that dish ever again. And then one day you go somewhere, and you don't know what's being served, but you try this thing, and you, you, you take one bite, and you think, oh, man. And you ask somebody, what is this? And then they use the same word to describe the dish that you despise and that you never want to taste again. And you begin to realize in that moment, it wasn't, It wasn't the thing itself. It was how it was presented. It was how it was prepared. Look, I I am telling you, if you will allow the master chef, God himself, to show you what he means by predestination, I think you're going to enjoy this thing. Give it another try. As it, as it is brought to us in this passage, it means that God has determined ahead of time and has backed this up with all of the power of heaven. He has determined ahead of time to bring us to the same glorious good end that we now see in Jesus as he rises from death. Glorified. For all those whom God foreknew, he predestined to become like Christ, to be conformed to his image. And he predestined them to be with Christ forever in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then he doesn't stop there. Let's look at verse 29 and 30. Verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also... So everyone who gets called like this makes it to the point of being justified. This is not like when I call you or I call my children and they decide they may not come yet. That happens. And I don't care how many parenting courses you take, that's going to happen to you too. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is a call that produces something. All those whom he called, he also justified. There were no dropouts. This was not that they just made it to the next round of cuts. Mm -mm. And those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified 
so certain is that result that Paul can bring all of eternity, so to speak, to bear down upon the present moment and speak about the future as if it's already passed. Now, what does all this mean for us? What should it mean for us? That's, that's what we want to do now. Just, let's just talk about a few points of application, a few things that, that we want to see ourselves grow in and put ourselves, or rather put into practice in our lives, that in a way, I think in a way that would be pleasing and honored, honoring to God. And let's go back backwards, uh, backwards in regard to the way that I presented it. But first we'll say this. I want all of us to grow to love the biblical teaching of predestination. If you have the opportunity to join us on Tuesday nights for the next five weeks, I believe you're going to begin to get a little bit of that in you. Now, and again, we're not, we're not uh, I don't want to use words that, that lift up other men. I don't want to promote teachings and doctrines of men. So I have stayed away from using particular words you may be familiar with that are named after particular individuals. That's not my thing. I, I just want you to love God and I want you to love what He tells us to love. I want you to trust what He says. All right, And this could be the beginning of that for us. But I want you to remember that predestination and God's work in predestination is the only thing that gives us the ability to believe Romans chapter 8 verse 28 will happen. All things will work together for the good of God's children because he has predestined them to that end. Secondly, I want us to learn, and I've talked about this before, I want us to learn how to create a new folder, so to speak, for the desktop of our hearts. You know, like when you create a new folder on your computer and it sits there on your desktop and you can just file things away in that folder. Well, I want us to learn how to do that with the different things we go through in this life. All of the, experience that the experiences that tempt us to say things like, God isn't there. Or God doesn't care. Or God can't be good. Or I'll never get past these doubts. Or I'll never recover from what so-and-so did to me. I, I'll never change. And I want us to learn to take the things that cause us to believe that, to file them away into this new folder. And I want us to label that folder Romans 8.28. And I want us to put in quotation marks there the words, even this. Even this when God is finished with it, will be used to carry me to the ultimate good that He has predetermined for me, that I might be like Christ and with Him forever. Even this. And thirdly, I want us to remember that we don't have to be perfect in our prayers. Now what do I mean by that? We always want to strive to pray in accordance with the will of God. If we pray according to His will, we know that He hears us, and if He hears us, we have the thing for which we have asked. But there are moments, as we have seen, where the specificity of God's will in a particular situation remains hidden from us. And in those times, I don't want us to think that we have to have the right formula for prayer, as if God is some puppet and we're pulling strings. Oh, I know why I didn't get that thing that I asked for. You know, I, I remember now when I was praying, I went down on one knee instead of two. That's not, that's not what's going on. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot to say in Jesus' name.
we don't have to be perfect in terms of things like that as we approach God in prayer. We can simply talk to our Heavenly Father and we can have the reassurance that the Spirit of God who makes intercession for the saints in accordance with God's will is communicating with our Heavenly Father when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And He who searches hearts can go right into our heart and He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And again, that Spirit is interceding for us in accordance with His will. You and I can trust that and we can simply pray and release that burden from off of our shoulders and let Jesus carry it for us. Let the Spirit carry it for us. And last thing I want to say as we, as we get ready to close, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, this is my hope for you, is that that will change. I do not try to hide that. I always speak and say yet when I talk about people not being Christians. And I, I'll tell you, I have, I have confidence that if that's you, your yet may give way to the reality of you becoming a Christian even this morning. Because... I don't know if you realize this, but it is Memorial Day weekend. It's really a nice day out there if you're in the shade. And you're here in an elementary school gym on metal folding chairs listening to someone you don't know at all speak for about 40 minutes. That is like a recipe for death for most people. But for you this morning, it may be tending toward life because of what God has planned for you. And what, what I want to say to you is this, that long before we talk about how the Holy Spirit even helps Christians in their weakness, Jesus came to help those of us who were not yet Christians in a different kind of weakness. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. We're told there, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you are still a sinner, like the rest of us, Christ acts upon your behalf. He dies upon the cross before you have a chance to get your life in order before you have a chance to figure out how to do everything perfectly, He acts on your behalf and He dies on the cross in the place of sinners that things might be put right between us and God. And I want you to notice in verse 8 that something very strange happens in that verse. That, that verse says God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why doesn't that say God showed His love for us. Any grammarians in here? I had to look this one up in the original Greek language just to be sure. And it is in the present tense. If you are here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, I want you to understand that God is still presently, actively showing His love for you through the cross that happened almost 2,000 years ago. Right now this morning, He is showing you His love, a love that can change everything for you and put things right between you and God. Set you on a path where you also are an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ, 
And even though you will continue to suffer on some level in this life, you know that there's glory on the other end. And that all things will work together for good to you, for you, because you love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, my dad used to call us, like I said, and we would be out somewhere, maybe at a park or whatever, and he would say, everybody come, Rohan, Raymond, Robert, Ronald, come. And we would respond, coming, which parents, you know, is our way of buying time. He would try again. Come. Coming. And then my dad would get to the point where he was just fed up. And in that great Jamaican accent of his, he would say, Stop coming and come already. And we knew the buying time had run out. <laughs> we needed to, to get to where my father was. Now, all those whom God predestined, he also called. Is God calling you to himself this morning? Stop coming and come already. Lord, help us to respond to your grace in a way that proves it to be effectual in our lives. Let the call come not simply from me this morning, but from you. Let them sense that call in their hearts and may they come that they might not only be called but justified. That they might inherit the good and eternal things that belong to your Son, Jesus Christ, and to His people forever. That they might come to share in this inheritance that belongs to the saints. Lord, I pray that those who are so called and justified this morning in this room, throughout Richmond, Virginia, throughout this country, and indeed throughout the world, I pray that the number of such people would greatly increase this morning in response to the proclamation of your gospel and, and in response to the hearing of your gospel. Lord, and I pray that that sound would even echo from our own voices as we go out this week, that we would provide others with an opportunity to hear your call through our voices as we offer Christ to them and tell of his saving work. And we ask this through your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.